We heard from the Gospels and now from the Apostle Paul, the second letter to the church in Corinth. It is but a verse, but a verse for Easter. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of peace to one another. This sends the reading from the Apostle Paul. And may these words, which once transformed the early church's heart, transform our hearts as well. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts this Easter morn be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. A writer asks us to imagine that very first Easter as a slender ribbon of sunlight appears just above the hills. Now picture it, right? And there they are, silhouetted against the sunrise, three moving figures, three women walking swiftly, three pairs of hands, each carrying something important. There is Mary Magdalene, as the Gospel of John records, a longtime follower of Jesus, Mary, the mother, and Salome, another woman disciple. Now that a new day has come, yesterday was the Sabbath, they couldn't do anything. But now that a new day had come, they were able to be on their way to perform a necessary but heartbreaking task. Their destination was Jesus' tomb. And their mission was to anoint his body with the spices they were carrying. Now the Gospel of Mark shares a few of the details of that first Easter, but the Gospel of Mark and none of the Gospels describe for us will say how the women were feeling or the acute grief that was weighing on them, weighing on them as surely as the things they were carrying. We don't even know, of course, what their conversation was like as they made their way to the tomb. What were they saying? But here's what we might fairly surmise, that because of their grief, there might have been some tension, some disagreements, you know, sometimes grief has a way of bubbling up complications among loved ones and friends. I mean, I've seen that many times in my line of work. I actually have seen that kind of tension even out once or twice in our memorial garden. One time, gathered around dear mom's plot. There we were with the adult children, siblings to one another, brothers and sisters, gathered around to do these final things for mom. And then, I have to be honest, as the container of ashes came out of the velvet bag and was placed on the platform out there, for a moment, everyone was a little uncomfortable. They were. There was, and I'm going to tell you it was from the sister looking at one of the brothers, there was a look of, really? And I, I detected a bit of an eye roll from the sister as well. Now, I imagine the backstory, if theirs was anything like my family's, that when their mom and dad were alive, the sister had done a lot of the heavy lifting for mom and dad. And here, to do these final things, she had sort of parsed out the details. She'd asked the one brother to simply pick out 
a nice urn for mom's ashes, and it was his only job, a straightforward task, right? But this was eye roll time. And the container that emerged from the velvet bag was, well, dear mom's ashes were about to be interred in the memorial garden in the free of charge cardboard box from the Illinois Cremation Society. <laughs> For a moment, there was annoyance and maybe even some sadness. But I share that story for one reason, is that there was also remarkable good news in it. Annoyance, sadness, even grief were not the last word of their mom's story. Within minutes, I promise you, within minutes, was an experience of reconciliation, love, and I remember distinctly even some laughter. That's part of the witness of Easter. Grief is not the last word of the story. The women in the Gospel of Mark, on their way to the grave, maybe they had imagined that they had taken care of all the details for that day as well. They had planned a, a get-together afterwards, all things to do. Everyone had done their part, except maybe as they were walking along, a little bit of tension bubbled up amongst them, thinking, who's going to move the stone? Did you remember to get someone to move the stone? I don't know. Maybe they remembered how much effort it took Joseph of Arimathea, he owned the tomb, to get the stone in front. They thought, we're never going to do it alone. And maybe they began to think that the last word of Jesus' story would be disappointment. And in that moment of frustration, they might have had a bit of an eye roll moment as well, because if you've heard the story closely, they must have asked the question, hey, where are the men? Where are the guys? I mean, where's Peter, Mr. On this church, on this rock will build the church, Peter? What about James and Andrew? I mean, where are they? They might have thought a couple of brawny fishermen could help us move that stone. but none of them were there. If you were here Thursday night for the Monday Thursday service, you would have heard from our choir one of the most poignant and beautiful renditions of the African-American spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And of course we know none of us were there, but there were plenty of witnesses in scripture to his death. The spiritual goes on to ask in song, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? And none of us, no, we weren't there, but yes, there were witnesses for that too. But the last verse, which wasn't sung on Monday, Thursday, because it's usually saved for Easter, is were you there when they raised him from the grave? No, none of us were there and neither was anyone else. The Bible says nothing of what that moment was like. That is the part of the story to which there are no witnesses. Jesus rose in the silence of God. 
We know nothing of what happened or of what the morning was like. Was it a calm and dry and cool morning or was it, was it clearly going to be a hot and humid day? We know none of the details. Jesus rose in the silence of God. But thank goodness that silence is not the last word of this story either. I have a friend who was once asked to summarize Easter this morning with five words or less. They asked a whole bunch of people to try to do it. And here's what he came up with. God has the last word. Maybe that's just a memorable way to say that faith is trust. God has the last word. I mean, that's Easter. Annoyance over the urn for mom? No. Grief over a stone that might still be in front of the tomb? No. Disappointment? No. Those are not the last words of this day. God has the last word. But I know, I understand. If God has the last word, even life over death, it's those painful next-to-last words that we live on earth with that sometimes buckle our knees. Those second-to-last heartbreaking words like grief or despair, hurt, and of course death. But if faith is trust and God has the last word, then the words that we are left with on Easter Sunday are not grief or hurt or death, but hope, healing, and of course, life. I remember sitting with a couple in a hospital room after they had received news from the doctor that a most unwelcome guest had returned to their lives. The wife's cancer was no longer in remission. And something that you discover over the years is that there is nothing to say in moments like that. That silence speaks most eloquently. And silence there was until the wife broke it and said, mostly for her husband's sake, listen, I'll be okay. I know you will, he immediately replied. The doctor's fairly confident. And she said, no, no, of course I'm worried but I'm worried mostly about you. But please know, either way, I'll be okay. I mean, we know what she was saying. And gratefully, she has gone on living quite a bit longer. But on that day, on that next to last word, the tomorrow was uncertain. But tomorrows are always uncertain. We never know what any given day will hold for us, which means we need to find a way to hold on to something else. And I think that's exactly what the wife understood when she said, either way, I'll be okay. Which means that there are two ways to provide reassurance in the presence of fear. One form of reassurance is to sort of blithely say, uh, everything's going to be fine. The surgery will be successful. The relationship will be mended. 
our worst fears won't be realized. But you and I both know that there are few circumstances where that kind of reassurance is ours to give. But the second form, the second form of reassurance in the face of fear is what Easter is about. It is to say that if we hold true and fast to a trust that God has the last word, or as the wife put it, I'll be okay either way, then the last word will never be grief or pain or death. But because of Easter, and because God has the last word, those words will be hope, healing, and life. Right? This day, Easter, is not only about Jesus. It's not only about a stone rolled away. It's about you and me. It's about God always having the last word. That is good news. So welcome to Easter where we stand on the other side of fear. And because Jesus has claimed his new life, this is the day to claim yours. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.